Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Oh, shalom, shalom, everybody. Hey, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana and out of Ashes Ministries. Hey, how are you guys and gals, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters? Hey, it's um, it's been a couple of weeks, and I do sincerely apologize, um, but we've had a lot going on, a lot of cool stuff to tell you about. And uh, so I haven't been able to make a new episode in a couple of weeks, and I am sincerely sorry uh, about that. But, hey, we're back, and uh, I'm excited to be back. And um, so what has been going on? Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we um, had the opportunity, the incredible opportunity, to uh, attend a temple conference uh, with Joe and Debbie Good, uh, Edgar Ramos, Scott Paddock, uh, some incredible, incredible uh, temple scholars, teachers, um, and not only – I say this about Joe and Debbie all the time, but I would say this for all the teachers. Um, these people really – like they research and they know what's going on, um, uh, but they are wonderful people more than you know what they know and what they provide for us in information, but um, my wife and I were able to go to Oxford, Mississippi, and um, – uh, shout out to Jake and Gwen Clemens who uh, hosted this event and put it on, uh, and uh, just a, a four days of just getting stuffed like an ox, literally, <laughs> with uh, with, uh, with great food. They're also a tremendous knowledge, camaraderie. Met a lot of you folks there um, that go like, "Hey, I listen. Or, you know, I join you guys on Shabbat, or I listen to the podcast, or whatever." And it was so cool to finally put some faces with some names. Um, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And so it was just, it was so incredible that was, that's been now a a solid two weeks uh, ago and I am still processing, uh, all of the things. And you guys, if you've listened to uh, IBR for any amount of time, you know that I'm infatuated with all things temple. And, uh, so it was just, it was overwhelmingly good. And, uh, I would encourage any of you, uh, that have a slightest interest in, uh, temple things and not only the temple building, you know, the second temple or whatever, but, uh, just the idea of temple and sacred space as we try to talk about it here on IBR and at, at, at OAM. Uh, I would encourage you to link up with JerusalemTempleStudy.com. That's Joe Good's website. Uh, of course, Rico Cortez does a ton of stuff on, on Beta Migdash on the temple. Uh, and, and get plugged into some of these things. Uh, Rico is hosting a temple conference in January in Orlando. Uh, and then I believe this, uh, this conference that we went to a couple of weeks ago is going to be an annual thing in Oxford, Mississippi each summer. And, uh, and so it's just, I would encourage you guys to get plugged in, um, because it's, it's, it's just fantastic. And, uh, so we also brought home from the conference our good friend Hanok Young. 
And uh, if you, many of you guys that have, have uh, watched the live stream, you've listened to IBR for any amount of time. Hanok uh, was on during Hanukkah and did a Hanukkah special with us. And um, so he, was, he came and we hosted him at OAM and he spoke and challenged us about our love for Israel and our commitment to supporting Israel. And uh, it was so, you know, just so such an incredible weekend. And I uh, got to spend some great time with him. And so a lot of stuff going on. And then uh, we celebrated, uh, or, or not celebrated, but we uh, commemorated Tisha B'Av uh, this weekend. And holy cow, there's a lot of stuff going on. And uh, so we're in the month of Av now, and we are approaching and preparing for the month of Elul and the 40 days of Teshuvah uh, as we approach the fall Moedim. And then Sukkot, guys, will be here before you know it. So real quick, let me just say, uh, as far as Sukkot goes, um, if you are interested in coming down and hanging out with us in southwest Louisiana, please visit our website, outofashesministries.org, and uh, all the information for Sukkot is there, a little quick registration form just to let us know who's coming and when you're coming, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys. If you have any questions, always reach out, email, phone call, Facebook, whatever is easiest for you, and uh, we look forward to hosting you guys. So, uh, preliminaries out of the way, let us get into this week's uh, episode, but first and foremost, as we always do, let's go to the Father in prayer. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King, Father, we bless you and thank you for all of your goodness to us. We look at creation and we wonder how a magnificent creator God could be involved in the details of our lives. And as we're together today, Father, I pray we're led by your spirit as we seek to bear your image better in our world. guys and gals. So, um, I, like I said, I got a lot to process, a lot I'm still processing. Um, but what I wanted to do in this episode is uh, I wanted to kind of talk about Tisha B'Av and so what. So so what about Tisha B'Av? Uh, what is Tisha B'Av and what, what's the big deal? Um, you know, in in our world of, of non-Jewish Torah observance or pursuance, as I like to say, um, we've you know, for good reason, uh, and and you know, for for valid reasons, we have left a lot of stuff out of our Torah pursuance. And in some circles, um, we have you know we have come from systems and denominations and all uh, that we found you know really big errors in and really big holes in you know what we've been taught and and how you know how we've been trained. And so, what in many senses we've done is we have kind of gone the other way. And said, well, you know, I'm going to do this thing on my own and I just want to see, you know, truth for truth's sake, um, which is, you know, is is admirable. And um, and, I, you know, I never want to take anything away from that uh, because I believe it's important and it's uh, it's a foundational part of our walk to to actually begin to think maybe, you know, and study and pray maybe for the first time in our faith life, you know, that we're not somebody's not telling us what to believe, but we are engaging in scripture we're wrestling with concepts and stuff that we you know that are fairly new to us and trying to figure out what what old do we keep what what fits what doesn't and 
And that's an ongoing process. You know, for anybody who's in that, that season of maybe kind of newish to the Torah walk and to, you know, the Tanakh and, and you're trying to kind of, you know, that, it's, a, it's a hard season. And so I just want to, you know, say, like, don't get discouraged. Don't get overwhelmed. Take it slow. Take it easy. And, you know, tackle one thing at a time as Hashem reveals things to you and, and brings you. And he, and he is a, you know, the Ruach is a, a great um, uh, teacher and gentleman. And he will guide you into areas as you are able to process and to, to think through things. And, you know, just because somebody else has a huge revelation on something doesn't mean you need to go run and get that revelation. Um, each, each one of us has a different part to play. You know, we're all a cell in the body. Um, and, and we all have a different function and a different part to play. And so, uh, you know, take, take this easy and take it lightly. But along that journey, um, we, you know, we hear a lot about restoring Yeshua's Jewishness. And, you know, I've heard it said over and over, we need to give Yeshua back to the Jewish people and to the Jewish culture and to, you know, because he was a Jewish man. And I know some, you know, some maybe listen to me still even have a little bit of, a little bit of consternation about that. You know, like, well, yeah, he might have been born Jewish, but he was outside of the Jewish norm. And, um, I, you know, I get that. I, I was there at one point, I, and I've learned some things that have helped me to maybe change and, and alter that viewpoint a little bit. But if, you, if that's where you are, then, you know, then that's where you are, and, and learn what you need to learn in this season. Um, and I, I kind of have this idea that instead of giving just Yeshua back to his Jewish heritage and to the you know, land of Israel— um, we need to give God back to the Jewish people and to the to the Israelite tradition and context and language and um, and so all of this is is wrapped up in kind of this you know this debate about the calendar and all these kinds of things and I've said this before and I really do believe this um, that you know we when we come into our Torah walk we we all focus on different things depending on kind of how you came in. Um, for some of you, maybe Hashem used uh, the, you know, the Sabbath, and you read about the Sabbath, and you went like, wait, why aren't we taught this? And that was like your entry into, you know, the whole of Torah. And so maybe you've studied the Sabbath extensively. Uh, maybe, for me, it was dietary, which I know is kind of odd, but that is what it is. You know, and so we all come in through different ways. Hashem uses different things and different times to draw us, um, you know, to the Torah. And and so depending on what, how you study and, and what you're interested in and how you're wired, there may be different aspects of the Torah that you study. And yet I have found, for me personally, and I think for the whole community it would be wise, that we've, we've left out the, the center of the hub. And so I think, tend to think in circles, and I just like circles. Um, and so I tend to think of like a bicycle wheel with all the spokes, you know, like the wire spokes. And each one of those spokes terminates in a thing, in a Torah concept, Sabbath, Moedim, dietary, calendar, name, you know, all these things, priesthood, all these tithe, all these things. And what we have had a tendency to do as the Messianic Hebrew Roots community is we have had a tendency to study those things, yet we have not studied them through the lens of and the filter of the hub of the wheel, which is, you, if you know anything about bicycle wheels, if you remove the hub of a bicycle wheel, the spokes have no, nothing to tie into, and then the wheel either falls apart altogether, altogether or it gets really distorted, right, and lumpy, and it just doesn't work. And not to be too critical, but in my 
experience and in my estimation, that's what has happened in large part to this revival, I believe, that we call the Hebrew Roots Movement. That Hashem really intended to do something really, really special, and He did. He accomplished some very special things in all of our lives. And yet, I kind of feel like we have aborted what God was trying to do because we're divided, we can't get along, we, you know, we have all this baggage and these hurts that we, we can't get healed of, and, and we all have you know, agendas and all these things. And, and so what I feel like is if we, if we would study the hub and focus the hub, which is the temple, the tabernacle, sacred space as a g- big general topic, and we understand that the Torah comes out of those things. In other words, to put it really simply, if you look at the narrative and the, the Bible project a couple of months ago released a series on Leviticus, um, which I, I'm going through, and it's been fantastic so far. No, I don't agree with everything, but the, the overall general um, you know, message of their series has been really, really good. and helps to put big picture in perspective the importance of God's presence, the Shekinah, or Shekinah as we call it, um, in the midst of the people. So it's not that, it's not that, you know, that we are calling, you know, God to come to us. God came and dwelt in the midst of the people. And since he is who he is, holy, and he asked the people to set up a house for him that was holy, his holy habitation, there are certain rules that go along with that. And that is the Torah. That is the foundation of the Torah. In other words, if we're going to keep God in our midst, and we're going to continue to have him live with us, then we not only have to keep his house clean, but we have to keep our lives clean as well. And, and that's what the Torah is. The Torah is teaching. It's instruction. Instruction in what? Well, we say it's instruction in living. Sure. But living very specifically with the presence of God, the Shekinah, in your midst. And how much more true would that be for us if we call ourselves or consider ourselves the image of God or the temple of God corporately and how important it is for us to, to be in unity in that. And so this is why uh, one of the reasons why Tisha B'Av is so important and why I wanted to just share a little bit about it today, even though it's past and this is the week after. I'm kind of still reflecting and, and I wanted to kind of hash some of this stuff out with my IBR audience and, um, and just see what you think and maybe give you some points to, to ponder. So what is Tisha B'Av? Well, the, uh, Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, is a day when historically, according to, to, to Jewish records, um, there was a lot of catastrophic things that happened in the land of Israel and to the people of Israel. Uh, among those are, you know, the Jewish tradition says that it's the day that the golden calf was created. Um, it's the day that the first and second temples were destroyed. And so we can look at it from an outsider perspective and go like, okay, yeah, big deal. You could have seen that coming. But what we don't understand is that hub idea that the, the temple, Beit HaMikdash, the Mishkan before it, the tabernacle, um, was the center of Israelite life, not even Jewish life specifically, but Israelite life, going all the way back to, you know, coming out of Egypt. And since we don't study the temple or the tabernacle, we miss the the centrality of it to the people in their worship, in their prayers, in their relationship to Hashem, in their relationships to each other, husband and wife, children, neighbors, brothers, sisters, family, fathers, mothers. 
in the relationship between the Israelites and the nations, the people around them, and the, the, the climate and the culture and the environment that they're in. And so the, it is central to everything that they are. It is the, the tabernacle and the temple, that, that Shekinah dwelling with the people, is a world all of its own. And one of the things that really kind of clicked for me uh, at the, the conference a couple of weeks ago was this idea that the temple is a world all its own that reaches into every facet of Israelite life, um, from industry to worship to calendar and timekeeping and everything. You know, one of the things that we don't realize is that the calendar is tied to the temple service. And, and that's really important because if you start monkeying around with the calendar, then the temple service gets adjusted and then slowly things start to fall apart for the nation as a whole. So all these things are inextricably linked together. They're tied together and they all have to function cohesively for the whole system of Israelite worship, of worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for it to work. And that's really important. And so why do the Jewish people mourn for, you know, during Tisha B'Av? Well, they mourn partly because of, you know, they realized their, their ancestors own hand in, in basically pushing God's presence out of, of their lives. They mourn for the fact that they don't have a temple uh, in which the presence can dwell. They mourn for you know their their own people and their own modern day situation and where they find themselves. And uh, you know the temples being destroyed always led to an exile, right? So there, there's just so much that it the, the temples being destroyed, the exiles that happen as a result, and all those things have been cataclysmic to the Jewish people, and yet they still have survived and remained. And I know there's a lot of talk about, well, the Jews in Israel are not real Jews. And let me just, as frankly, and I, I can't be soft about it, let me just say I'm not discussing any of that nonsense. Um, and so what we want to talk about is, is Tisha B'Av and like the so what of it. So we've kind of talked about why it's a big deal. And this is super surface, right, and really kind of the Cliff Notes version. Um, but it, it is important because it's – it's inextricably linked to everything we study in the Torah. Uh, my teacher, Joe Good, says that, you know, the, the temple is on every page of Scripture. And the more I study it, the more I'm starting to see that you cannot separate the Torah or the prophets or the writings or the Gospels or Paul or Peter or James or the book of Revelation. You cannot separate them from the world of the temple, from the reality, the context, the language um, all these things that, that the temple creates for us, this atmosphere that it creates for us. And so this, uh, this last week, we read Parshat Devarim is where we are. And the Haftarah for Parshat Devarim uh, is Isaiah 1, Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, it's 27 verses, so it's a quick read. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the, the Parshiot are uh, tied, most of the time they're tied to the Parsha. The Haftarot are tied to the Parsha, I should say. And so there's some kind of connection between what the prophets are saying and what we're reading in the, the Torah portion. And a few times a year, this being one of them, the Haftarah is actually tied to the calendar and what's going on in the calendar of Israel. And so that's what Isaiah 1 is always read on the Shabbat preceding Tisha B'Av. And... Uh, it is uh, called Shabbat Chazon. 
there's a you know actual name for it, Shabbat Chazon. And where do we get that? Well, the first word of Isaiah chapter one uh, is the vision, Chazon, Chazon, uh, and the vision is that's what that's what the Hebrew word for vision is. It's Chazon, uh, and so we call the Shabbat that this is read on, um, you know, Shabbat Chazon. And so I want to get into Isaiah, and I want to. I'm not going to. We're not going to read the whole thing, but there's a couple things that I want to point to, that are passages from Isaiah one that we've all read or you know we've heard for sure, uh, probably a, a, a number of times. And I want to talk about them in this context of the temple as the hub because I believe it's uh, it's really important to read them in in this context. And so uh, as we get into this. I'm going to be referring back to that, you know, that picture, that picture of the temple many, many times. So as kind of an intro to setting the stage for Isaiah 1, I want to read this note. This is in the uh, art scroll uh, Stone Humash. Um, and if you don't have one of these, it's fantastic. And I would encourage you to, to, to get one. Again, let me just say, I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. Um, you may think like, wow, why is this guy so, you know, about the Jewish people and Jewish writings and all this kind of stuff? What is, what's going on? I want to make sure that you understand my thought process uh, behind this, that I, I know Christianity. I know Christian doctrine. I know multiple denominations of Christian doctrines. The world I grew up in is who I am. What I don't know is how the Jewish people approach God, approach scripture, approach history, you know, and I'm, I want to... I want to learn those things. I want to know. And, and I don't read, you know, the Jewish side of things to learn what to think. That is, not my, that is not my goal. What I want to do is I want to read it and learn how to think differently than I have before about whatever I'm reading. And I think that's really important for us. Uh, many, depending on where you are in this walk, you may be watching a ton of YouTube teachers. You may be joining OAM. You may be, you know, on Shabbat, whatever. You may be reaching out, and, and you may have a teacher, a couple of teachers you really like. You think, like, these guys and our girls, you know, these ladies have it right. Uh, and maybe so. But what I would encourage you is to have the mindset, anytime you listen to a teaching, have the mindset of not being told, not wanting to be told what to think, but being receptive to how that teacher thinks about whatever they're teaching and then include that in your own meditation and study and let it inform you. And if you, if you connect with them, some of how they think about things, then great. And if you don't, then that's fine. You're not, you're not missing scripture because you don't agree with a teacher. By the other token, on the other token, you're not right just because you disagree with a teacher. This is about informing each other and sharing how we think about things. And the Jewish people have been thinking about these things for a long, long time. So they have a lot to say to us. So I want to read this, this introductory note uh, on Isaiah 1. It says, The Haftarah, the final one of the three of affliction. So in the three weeks leading up to Tisha B'Av, we have what's called the straits, or the dire straits, or the three weeks. Um, and there are three Haftarot that are read on Shabbat. And it says, it's always read on the Shabbat that precedes Tisha B'Av. And then listen to this. It says, as Rabbi Mendel Hirsch points out, the prophet Isaiah does not lament because the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. Rather, he laments over the underlying causes of that destruction. And this annual lesson serves to focus the national mourning of Tisha B'Av, not to the past, but to the present. 
It is not enough to bemoan the great loss suffered by our people with the destruction of our land, our holy city, and our holy temple. We must use our mourning as a way of initiating an examination of our present-day feelings, thoughts, and deeds. What have we done to eliminate the attitudes and practices that thousands of years ago sent our ancestors into exile, not once, but twice, and I would argue three times? Have we improved our approach to the divine service as a way of life, a life devoted to the duty rather than to substitute for it? These are fantastic questions. He goes on to say, it goes on to say, are our verbal offerings like the animal offerings described by the prophet merely perfunctory, performed rituals, never internalized, never spoken from the heart, just from the lips and outward? What an incredible question. After the break, I want to repeat that question because that's going to be a huge point of interest as we read through Isaiah chapter 1, and especially pointing out a couple of those passages we talked about. So, don't go away. We'll be right back right after the break. All right, everybody, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So we are talking about Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, a day of mourning for the Jewish people over the temple destructions, uh, both temples, the exiles that happened. Uh, and we're reading a note from uh, the Stone Humash where they quote Rabbi uh, Mendel Hirsch. And I think these are some incredible questions, not only for the Jewish people, but for us today. And we're going to kind of work this out. So let me repeat the, the last couple of questions that I asked. He says, how have we improved our approach to the divine service as a way of life, a life devoted to duty rather than a substitute for it? And listen to this question. Are our verbal offerings like the animal offerings described by the prophet merely perfunctory performance rituals, never internalized, never spoken from the heart, just from the lips and outward? And as Rabbi Hirsch puts it, is our Jewish contemporary present already so deeply imbued with the Jewish spirit, so filled with the Jewish way of thinking, with the knowledge of Judaism, with knowledge of the all-compromising and deep contents of the Torah, that it could form a worthy environment for a temple of God to be erected in our midst? Does not the gulf between Israel and its God yawn perhaps wider than ever? Man, there is some serious stuff to think about in those questions. So first of all, let, let's tackle the first one. We, as, as uh, coming from Christian backgrounds especially, um, you know, I'm just going to kind of attack the elephant in the room and just say this. And if this disturbs you or offends you, then I, I'm, I'm not sorry. I think it needs to be said. We have had, a, had a, an awful lot of conversation around racism in our country. Um, lately, the last few years, right? And I don't, I'm, this is not about racism. Uh, it is about racism in another sense. I grew up in the South. Many of you listening grew up wherever you grew up. Um, I grew up with, you know, black friends, white friends, the whole thing, you know, was in the marching band. It was predominantly, you know, black. And our school, you know, was had a, a, 
a large black population. It wasn't a thing for us. You know, we, we hung out together. We made life happen together. We did life together. It, it was what it was. And however, there are certain things that I may say even today that I don't think anything of. And yet a, a black person who doesn't know me may think is highly offensive and highly racist. I may not mean anything by it. It may not be with ill intent. I may not even realize what I said had any racial overtones. And yet it may be. And in the same way, we, most of us, I think it's safe to say, grew up with anti-Semitism instilled in our bones. So much so that we don't even realize it. And we may say things or have thoughts that we don't think are anti-Semitic, and yet they really are. And so we have to kind of start to work through those and consider those things. Uh, Because listen, there's not going to be a kingdom without the Jewish people without the nation of Israel. It like the like the sacred space is the hub of the Torah. The 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 nation of Israel is the hub of the covenant, and you can't separate them from the covenant. And if that bothers you or offends you, then I'm sorry, but with all sensitivity, you need to get your heart right. Because that is the story of the whole Bible that we read. Israel at its center. Yes, we from the nations are included through, through the, the, the drawing near and the redemption of Yeshua, our Messiah. Absolutely. And we are partakers of that covenant. But that does not replace or in any way diminish Israel's role. They are still the center. When, you, when Messiah returns, he's still coming back to Israel, for Israel, first. And we get to be a part of that. And that doesn't make us second-class citizens. That's just the way that it is. That's the, that's the story of the Bible. And we have to be comfortable with that and, and do what we can do and do what we know to do and we are obligated to do in the whole picture because the whole earth is the Lord's, right? The whole earth is his. That includes us. And so we have to know our part and do our part. And so I think it's even more important as we think about ourselves as the corporate temple as the corporate dwelling place that the the presence of God dwells in each one of us individually and in us as a whole, I think it's really even more important than what Rabbi Hirsch is asking of the Jewish people for us to ask ourselves these questions. We have a tendency to think that, well, you know, maybe not, maybe not so many in this walk, but certainly from maybe the backgrounds we came from to think, well, according to our several passages in Isaiah and other passages in the Torah, God hated the Israelite way of worshiping. That's not what he wanted. It's not every way that he intended. What he intended was, was worship from the heart and not the offerings and the new moons and the Sabbaths and all that kind of stuff. Maybe we're a little further along in understanding how to place that, but maybe not. Maybe some of us still feel that way. Like, well, we today have true worship in spirit and truth because we worship through prayer. We worship through our hearts. And, and not through bringing animal offerings. And yet, this, so this question is even more important for us as, as Rabbi Hirsch asks it and says, are our verbal offerings, that's our prayers, are our verbal offerings merely perfunctory, performant, performed r- rituals, excuse me, never internalized, never spoken from the heart, just from the lips and outward? It, it, have we replaced the offerings with our prayers and yet we're guilty of the same things that Israel was guilty of, of just outward perfunctory worship, just a performance ritual. Is that what we are guilty of? It's even more important, I think, for us to ask those questions of ourselves because we are really, you know, we're really who we're talking to. And I love this, this 
this idea he talks about you know is our are we uh, as a Jewish nation and the Jewish people are they are we are they so filled with Judaism and the Torah and stuff that they even have place for the temple of God and for the thereby the Shekinah the presence of God and I I want to turn that a little bit and say you know are we so full of Christianity are we so full of Hebrew rootism are we so full of you know of Torah pursuance are we so full of Jesus, of Yeshua, that there's any place for the temple. And if I really offended you, then again, sorry, not sorry. These are questions that we have to ask ourselves because the our, our end of the book, right, of, of Revelation, whatever, says that, you know, in the end, there won't be a, a need for a temple. The whole earth will be filled with the glory of Hashem. But if we think that just because there's not a physical structure that all of the laws and the kedusha and the, 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 the reverence and the holiness goes away, then we've completely missed it. And, and that, that's, my, that's my, my fear and that's my point, that we don't study the temple now because we think, there well, there won't be one in the end of days. So what's the point? God will be here himself. We won't have need for that building. But if the, the temple teaches us anything, it is called Beit Hamikdash, the house of Kedusha, the house of holiness. And holiness, for whatever definition you want to give it, one definition, uh, holiness equals restriction. Restriction. How, well, how can I say that? Well, because the holiest place was the most restricted place. And then outside of that, the next holiest place was less restricted, but still certain people couldn't go in there, couldn't just, you know, tramps in there. And these rings that come out of these concentric circles that come out of the temple and teach us about God's holiness. If we think that since there's no standing temple building, that stuff goes away, we are badly, badly mistaken. How much more when, when the Father himself is here dwelling amongst us, how much more will there be uh, where there be will we need to know the kadusha and where we can where we can go and how we can act and the, the 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 how we approach him how much more will we need to know that right and so house of kadusha beta migdash literally is trying to teach us it's the tool god gave us in his mercy to teach us how to approach god and how to prepare for god when his presence is on the earth I hope that makes sense because I cannot make that point strong enough. It is the tool that Hashem gave us along with his word, along with the Torah, along with the spirit to, to prepare us for that time when we finally return to Eden and Hashem walks with us in the cool of the day. That there is still, there is still Kedusha there. There is still restriction there. There is still a way that we approach God. And so are we so full of, our Christian understanding or our Hebraic roots understanding or are, are we so full of Yeshua that we just go, yeah, like I got Yeshua, I can just walk in whenever I want. Are we so full of that that we have substituted that for an understanding of God's holiness? Because that's really ground zero what we're talking about. Again, the presence of God came to dwell amongst the camp of Israel. And because of that, there had to be restrictions on how the people acted and how they behaved and how they thought. And if we think that in our arrogance that, well, we have true worship now from our hearts, 
That's true, but are we really worshiping from our hearts? And not to say that any that we aren't. I'm just saying we should be auditing ourselves based on, I think, these really deep and profound questions. And so we're not going to read, as I said, the whole part of uh, the whole of Isaiah, Isaiah 1. But I want to read a couple verses and really kind of focus the rest of this episode on, on those verses. I want to start in verse 10. Verse 10 says, Hear the word of Hashem, O chiefs of Sodom. Give ear to the Torah of our God, O people of Gomorrah. Now, he's not talking to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's talking to the Israelites, especially the Israelite leaders. And he says, Why do I need your numerous sacrifices, says Hashem? I am satiated with elevation offerings, korban olah, of rams, of the choicest of fattened animals. And the, bull, and the blood of bulls and sheep and he goats I do not desire. When you come to appear before me, who sought this from your hand to trample my courts? You shall not continue to bring a worthless meal offering. Incense of abomination, it is unto me. New moon and Sabbath, calling of convocation, I cannot abide. Your new moons and your appointed festivals, my soul hates. They have become a burden upon me that I am weary of bearing. What strong language. And so we can read those passages and we can go, yep, see, God never wanted sacrifices and offerings. The problem with that is that he commanded offerings. He commanded the olah, the mincha. He commanded these things as a way of korban, to draw near to him, Right? And so we have this really bad habit of not reading far enough. <laughs> uh, as I've ranted before about, you know, in Joel 2, where it talks about the enemy coming to take the, you know, our, the locust and the pommel worm and that stuff. And we've always thought that was Satan. And yet that's not at all what it is. It's God that does that in order to bring correction and to bring, um, you know, uh, uh, an audit to our lives. And so we go on to continue reading. And in verse 15, he says, And when you spread out your hands in prayer... I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you were to increase prayer, I do not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Full of blood, we think, maybe like of murder, right? Like you're, you're murderous, and yet you're coming to me and praying, thinking that's okay. And yet I want to kind of turn that a little bit and say, what about if their hands are full, are, 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 are full of blood from the offerings that they've been doing? thinking that these offerings and this prayer is true and righteous and holy. And yet, what does it all come down to? And I got to give it to the Baptist and to the Christian world. This is one area we had it right. It comes down to the heart. The heart of the matter is the heart. Is why are we approaching? How are we approaching? When are we approaching? In what attitude? And it comes down to one word. And that word is in Hebrew, kavanah. Kavanah which means intention. What is our intention when we come to God in prayer? When we come to him in avodah, in service? What is, our pray, what is our intention when we sing songs of worship and we dance? What is our intention when we sing the Shema and say the Vihafta? What is our intention when we sit down and we study Torah? What is our intention when we're together with other people and we want to share what we believe. What is our intention? Kavanah. What is our heart's position and posture 
whenever we do all of these things, because all of these things are worship. All of these things are this lifestyle of worship that we want to lead. And that we want to be right and appropriate and righteous and just and holy before Hashem and before each other and before the outside world around us. So Hashem speaks to Isaiah and says, I don't want all this stuff. And and he actually, this, this terminology he uses is so powerful and raw. He says, they are a burden to me that I can no longer bear and I am weary of bearing them. I'm weary of bearing this superficial, surface, misplaced, quote unquote, worship. Whether it be by the slaughtering of animals or whether it be by lifting your hands in some kind of vain prayer. And this is not about castigating the Jewish people or or correcting them. They can correct them. This is about us auditing ourselves and not saying that we are, but being mindful that it is a possibility that at points in times we could be wearying God with our kavanah, with our intentional and our intentional and how we intentionally approach him. We could be weir- we could be causing God to be weary and burdened with how we approach him. And not for us to think that, well, no, that could never be us because we have Yeshua, we have Ruach, we have the Torah, we have all this stuff. We are the ones that are right. You know, it's really convenient for us to be able to look at the church and say they screwed up and to look at the Jewish people and say they screwed up and their rabbi screwed it up and blah, blah, blah. And thank God we're the ones that finally have it right. That's really convenient. When, in the, when the truth is, that we would not be here were it not for our Christian upbringing. And that Hashem placed in our parents or, or didn't, whatever, however you grew up, that walk and that path. And by His sovereignty, used those things in our past to get us here. And the church, for whatever it is, taught us a lot of valuable lessons and a lot of valuable things that we should be thankful for. On the other side of the family... The Jewish people have a lot to teach us still about their God, about their scriptures. I don't, I'm just saying all kind of triggering things today. But, I, but I'm, I, if it needs to be said, and I'm just speaking from my heart because I passionately believe that we need to come together in unity over some of these things. And they have so much wisdom and so many things to teach us. Do I believe everything that is written in, by the sages? No. Now, is that because I think they're wrong and they need to be corrected? No. Either it's because I'm not at a place where I can't understand them, or maybe they're just incorrect. But it's not my job to go and correct them. It's my job to eat the fish and spit out the bones and follow the leading of Hashem, the leading of Yeshua, the leading of the Ruach, the leading of the Torah to where I need to be and I am supposed to be. And I want to make sure that through my intention, through my kavanah, whatever I do, if I pray just my, my own from my own heart, or if I pray from the siddur, or if I lift my hands in worship, or if I dance, or if I cry, or if I kneel, or if I prostrate myself on the floor, or if I spend a day fasting, or, or if I get into a conversation with other believers about what I believe, or if I teach my ch- teaching my children, whatever I'm doing, if I'm making YouTube videos or making a podcast or a radio show, whatever I'm doing, I want to make sure 
that my intention is pure, as pure as I can possibly make it, and trust God that he is going to fix whatever I don't realize is there or bring to light whatever I don't realize is there so I can make shuva and I can fix it. And so the so what part about Tisha B'Av, we've talked about like, so why is it a thing? Why do we mourn or why do we at least acknowledge the mourning of the Jewish people? Because they are central to the story, no matter what you believe. And if you believe they're not central to the story, again, I'll say you're wrong. I'm sorry. Check your heart. Do some more study. The so what after Tisha B'Av has to do with what are we going to do in light of the things that we've talked about and mourned and been made aware of? What are we going to be, what are we going to do from here on out? After all, we call ourselves image bearers of God. We call ourselves the living temple of God, the living stones in which God has chosen to place his spirit. And if these questions and this concern of the Jewish people for the temple, for the the tabernacle, for all of these things, if it's such a concern for them that they spend a day mourning and fasting and searching their hearts and making repentance, if it's such a, an, an intense and 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 you know cataclysmic time that they remember, if it's that important for them, how much more important if is it for us if we believe what we say about who we are? If who we say we are is the living stones of the living temple of the living God, and we have received his, his shkinah, his presence and his spirit, and we are the, the carriers of truth and the bearers of the image of God, how much more important is it that we consider our kavanah, our intention, that we read the words of Isaiah where God says, I don't want your superficial stuff. Let's finish this part because he gives the solution. In his mercy, God gives his, the solution. In verse 16, he says, Wash yourselves and purify yourselves and remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Desist from doing evil. Stop it. Stop it. If you listen to my to this, this podcast or, or, you know, Bezrat Hashem, by the will of God, hopefully God you know, convicts you, and like, as he does me all the time, of attitudes that are wrong or biases that are wrong or racism or anti-Semitism or whatever. May we be humble enough to accept that criticism, that critique, that correction, and fix it. He doesn't say bring more offerings or pray harder or have more faith. He says stop doing the bad stuff. This is what I, this is what I love and one of the things that I've learned from Again, the way the Jewish people have typically thought about sin is that for many of us as Christians or former Christians, however you want to think about yourself, sin is something we are. And yet for the majority of the Jewish world, sin is something you do. And you take verses like this and you go, you're doing stuff that offends God? Stop it. Stop it. Don't have more faith that God will miraculously change your heart. Just stop it. And we go, well, yeah, but I can't. Well, start. Start stopping. Start stopping and then stop a little more and stop a little more and stop a little more. Some things we can drop immediately. We can change our mindsets. We can change our hearts immediately. Some stuff is going to take maybe years because it took us, it, it's been years of doing that or thinking that. And it's going to take us years to stop. And that's okay. 
But God wants to see progression and that our intention is changing. He says, just uh, take, learn to do good, seek justice, strengthen the victim, do justice for the orphan, take up the cause of the widow. We're pretty good on these first couple of things, learning to do good. We're trying to learn the Torah so we can worship God in the way he wanted. We're, we're pretty good on that. Seeking justice. We're a little less good on that. We tend to want to weaponize what we have learned against people instead of using what we have learned in order to bring justice. Strengthen the victim. Again, I'm not talking to everybody, but if this lands for you, you know who I'm talking to. Do we use our knowledge of the Torah and our knowledge of what we're learning and, and how we're being corrected? Do we use that to uplift people or do we use it as a, as a bat, a Torah bat or a Torah sword that we go just hacking people's heads off because now they don't believe like we now believe? He says, strengthen the victim, do justice for the orphan and take up the cause of the widow. Is that our kavanah? Is that our intent or is it our intent to go like, well, now we have it right. Everybody else should get on board. And the reason your life is screwed up is because you don't study the Torah. That may sound really harsh, but guys, that's, you've heard it. I've heard it. This, this repentance, this tshuva is the beginning of the season as we get ready to approach Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, and then Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is all about the, the sacred space and about making sure God's house is clean. Again, how much more, if it was important for his physical house to be clean, how much more is important now for his, for us as his living house to be clean. So I know this was a heavy episode. <laughs> Again, I, 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 a lot of triggering things that I probably said, but I think these things are deep, important things that need to be thought about and meditated on. So Next week, I'll try to be a little more encouraging and uplifting. But until then, I hope you meditate on these things. I love you all. Shalom, shalom.